chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, it says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not ex- expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded double-minded, unstable in all they do. And then this theme is carried out in James chapter 4 and verse 8. It says, Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This idea of double-mindedness. We're in a series called Don't Just Leave a Legacy, Live a Legacy. And if we're going to, if we're going to live a legacy... If we're going to leave a legacy, we need to be single-minded. We need to be clear about our faith. We need to be steadfast in our walk with God. We need to, we need to be passionate. We talked about a few weeks ago about being passionate and zealous. We need to be passionate about our heart for God. It, it needs to be who we are. I read a, I read a study on a, a two-headed snake. And uh, the two-headed snake, I found it very interesting. It's different, a lot of different two-headed snakes. Kind of creepy, isn't it? Um, but I read this study, a scientific study on this two-headed snake. And they were talking about how the snake would, one of the minds would take over and the snake would go under, the body would go one direction. And then the other mind would take over and the snake would go the other direction this way. And, and the snake was constantly going in different directions because when one mind would take over the body, it would go this way. When the other mind would take over the body, it would go that way. And it was constantly in a state of confusion, if you will. The body following behind this two-headed snake. That's what it means to be double-minded. James tells us if we're going to conform to the image of Christ, because at the end of the day, that's what really matters, right? Our goal, we lay out our goal to become more like Jesus Christ. We, have, we live with the end in mind and we live our lives backward. Who are you going to be? You decide for yourself, who am I going to be when I'm laying on my deathbed and I'm about to meet the Lord? You decide who you're going to be at that point. What are you going to be thinking about your character, your integrity, who you want to become as a person? And you live your life that way. And that's what James is talking about. He said, if you're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, you cannot be double-minded. You cannot be double-minded. If we want to live a, live a legacy, if we want to truly leave a legacy, we need to have laser focus. Laser focus. 
We can be engaged in all kinds of things in this world, but they all have to revolve around Jesus Christ. He needs to be first and foremost in every area of our lives. When we go into school, we go into school, we bring Christ into our schools. When we go to work, we bring Christ into that environment. Not just bringing Christ into the church. It's when we leave here, we take him with us wherever we go. If we're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, we need to be single-minded. We need to have a, a, a laser focus. But what does it mean, actually, this whole idea of being double, double-minded? What does James mean? The term double-minded comes from a Greek word meaning having, having two minds, a person who has two minds or two souls. That's what it means, two minds and two souls. Well, everybody who understands what a mind is, we get confused sometimes. With, what, what, is this, what does it mean, soul? We have spirit, we have soul, all this. What is a soul? Well, the, the definition of soul, the soul is, the, is the, the, the sum total of all human experience. So you say, okay, what does it mean when someone says your soul? It's the sum total of all of my human experience and my intellect, physical, the emotional, the spiritual. It's basically who you are. It's who I am. My soul is who I am. Now, take a step back and imagine, imagine being double-minded in the soul, being uncertain. Your soul is uncertain, unsure. You don't have that clarity. There's, if you have a soul, you say it's a sum total of all my human experience. But the problem is your soul is in conflict now. Your mind and your soul are in conflict. That's what it means to be double-minded. I'm double-minded. I found, as I was studying through this, I found it fascinating that this word, this Greek word, is only found here in the book of James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. And I found this absolutely fascinating, that James did not give, truly give his life to Christ until after the resurrection. Which, to me, you want to prove the existence, not the existence, but you want to prove the resurrection is true. James, the brother, half-brother of Jesus, doesn't really follow him until after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he sees his brother die, and then three days later, there he is. And so once James comes to the saving faith in Jesus Christ, his faith is resolute. Before, it's like, you know, I don't know, I'm not really sure. I grew up with this guy, you know what I mean? He was always the perfect child, you know what I'm saying? It's like, mom always loved Jesus more. And that's <laughs> Why don't you be like more like Jesus? Can you imagine being Jesus? <laughs> Anybody in Jesus' family, why don't you be more like Jesus? Like, oh, Jesus. I'm not sure I like him. I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> I, you can just imagine, right? So, but, um, but then all of a sudden your brother is resurrected from the dead. You're like, wait, maybe he was telling the truth, you know? Maybe he was perfect all these years. Maybe I should have been like him. I should have listened to my mom. And so James comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ after the resurrection. And when he comes to Christ, he is resolute. I'm always joking. If James came into most of the churches in the United States of America and preached for like a month, he would clear them out. Clear them out. He's so passionate. He's so straightforward. He's so honest. And he's he's so filled with truth. 
It's amazing. Another thing that I found interesting about when I, as I was studying this is it's widely accepted amongst different scholars that James may have coined this phrase double minded may have come from him, this whole idea of being double-minded. But the point this morning that I want to get across to all of us, the point this morning is that we need to move from doubt, we need to move from, from, from having those doubts to deeper faith. From doubt to deeper faith, because James is saying we cannot, as followers of Jesus Christ, okay, we can't live in doubt. We can't live our lives in doubt. So we need to move from doubt to deeper, stronger faith. You cannot lead other people into a stronger faith journey if you, if your faith is in constant doubt. It just, it doesn't work. You see, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. No one's going to be able to follow your example if your mind, if your soul is in constant doubt. I think if we're being honest, all of us here this morning would say there have been times, even now and in the future, there are, there are times where we where we doubt, where we struggle. We read something or we hear something or our minds just kind of wander and we have that doubt going on. That, that's acceptable. I understand that. We all, as you grow in your faith, you overcome. But here's the thing. That said, a mature, a mature believer in Jesus Christ doesn't act on their doubts. They don't act upon their doubts. They live a life of obedience. I want to say that word again. They live a life of obedience. They're obedient. And through their faith, as they're obedient, obedience and faith come together. And through their faith, they overcome their doubt. Because they're single-minded. And when the enemy comes in and starts putting doubts in our minds, we are single-minded. And through our faith and obedience in God, we overcome our doubt. We don't live in doubt. We don't live out our doubt. We live out in obedience. We live out our faith and overcome our doubt. So James says that the doubting person... Is like a wave of the sea, right? Tossed around by the wind, a wave of the sea. So I started thinking about this and what is it? What are, the, what are some characteristics of a wave of the sea? I wrote a few of them down. A wave of the sea is, it, it's never at rest. It's never at, it's never at rest. The doubter is constantly moving. They're never still. They're, they're never calm. And because of that, they're seldom hearing from God. They're not being still. They're not being calm. They're not calming their souls, standing still, sitting down, focusing on Christ. They're not doing that. So they seldom hear from God. Sometimes we say, well, I'm not here. I don't hear from God. Do we take the time to actually try? Do we actually take the time to slow down and be calm? We don't. The doubter doesn't do that. They're constantly moving. They're, they're never still. They're never calm. And they're very, very rarely do they hear from God. Another thing about a wave, a wave of the sea, it's unstable. It's unstable. A doubter is fickle. They're erratic. You know people like this. They're fickle. They're erratic. 
A wave of the sea is driven by the winds. So a doubter is unsure. Honestly, they're unsure. And this is, this is part of our culture, even our Christian culture. They're unsure, so they're easily swayed by the things of this world. They're easily swayed by this world, by the philosophy this, of this world, by the, by the culture of this world that they're living in, by the pressures of this world. They conform to the pressure of the culture around them. They're unsure, they're unstable, easily swayed by the things that go on around them. They lack conviction. They lack conviction. No matter what the culture does, okay, for many, for many strong believers, no matter what the culture does, they don't move. They're, they're not affected by what society says or the new movement or, or social justice or whatever words they want to use to bring about some change in culture and People with conviction know the word of God and they test everything according to the word of God. So they're unmoved. Their feet are planted in concrete, if you will. But a wave, a person who's tossed by the wave of the sea, soon as something new comes along and there's a little bit of pressure put on you, you haters, you bunch of haters. All you have to do is call somebody a hater. Now you crumble like, crumble like sand under the pressure. Oh, I, I got to make sure no one calls me a name. You should less you should worry less about what the world thinks and what the world says and worry a lot more about what God thinks and what God says. That's the important thing. But we're so consumed with everybody else thinks. I don't care what the whole world could think. We joked about this a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, but it, it really doesn't matter if the whole world, if every person on the planet thought something. But I knew, I knew what the word of God said about it. I wouldn't change my perspective or my position. It doesn't matter what the whole world says. What matters is what God says. So the, the wave is, it's driven by the wind. A wave, a wave of the sea is capable of great destruction, right? You've seen it. We've watched it on television. Tsunamis, waves, they're capable of great destruction. A doubter, a doubter is, is, is emotionally unstable and spiritually immature. They're emotionally unstable and spiritually immature. You want to know one of the most dangerous things on the planet? A person who is emotionally unstable and spiritually immature. Who has caused you the most problems in your whole life? Who is the biggest problem in your family? The person who's emotionally immature and spiritually unstable. They cause massive destruction with their mouths, with their actions, with their attitudes. It's like a wave of the sea. James says, the man who thinks this way should expect to receive nothing from the Lord. Don't expect, if that's the way our mindset, and then people complain, well, you know, why isn't God doing this, and why isn't God doing that? Because James is saying, if you doubt, if you're double-minded, you shouldn't expect to see, receive anything from the Lord. It's by faith that God works through us. So, James says, and, and he says, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. When we allow doubt to take root in our lives, there's a difference, okay? The difference, like it's being someone, you tell a lie. There's a difference between someone who told a lie. Um, how do you like my hair? <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> that perm is awesome. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah. 
You know, and, and you walk away, look, God forgive me in Jesus' name, you know what I mean? Because that is one funky haircut. But, you know, um, but there's a difference between lying like that, and that's wrong, I'm not saying it's right, but be, then becoming a liar. Every time. You, you know people like this too, right? It's not just a told little white lie, but they have become a liar. And the point I'm trying to make is when, when doubt takes root in our lives, when we begin to doubt and Satan pours into us like he poured into Judas, when he pours into us doubt and doubt and doubt, when that starts to take root, that's when you become a double-minded person. That's when you become a double-minded person. That's what we have to watch out for in our faith. That, that doubt doesn't take root. That by obedience and faith, we overcome that doubt. We see this concept, this concept actually throughout the Bible. Remember, Jesus was talking about the person who tries to serve two masters. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, he says this. He says, no one can serve two masters. Now, listen to the language here. People love to live in gray. God doesn't live in the gray areas, okay? For him, there is no gray. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and the world. You either hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and you will despise the other. Notice his phrasing, phraseology there. He's not talking about, well, you can, you like this one, you like that one, it's, it'll all work out. He said, you can't do that. It doesn't work that way. James says, the double-minded person, he says, is unstable, which comes from, from, the, from the Greek word that means unsteady. Okay, wavering. The person is constantly wa- they, they they kind of waver in their lives. They waver in both their character and they waver in their emotions. They're constantly waving in their character. One moment they're standing up for this, and the next moment, if someone, if they're at work and they're you're asked to do something that is immoral or unethical, they they waver. They waver because they don't want to get fired, and they don't want anybody not to like them, and they want their boss. They want that, and so they waver. They're unstable. There's no conviction. They're, they, that, that's their character, their feelings. A good analogy when it, 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 that, that you can use here, an illustration about this whole idea of being unstable, is a person who's a drunk person. So, someone, someone who's drunk. Someone who's drunk. You ever watch uh, those TV shows like uh, Alaskan State Troopers or whatever? And they get people out of their cars. Uh, are you inebriated there? Oh, no, no. No. What are you talking about? You know, I always walk this way. I had a leg injury years back. And I can you walk a straight line? It's like every time it's like put your head, put your foot up. And it's like, you know, oh, let me try again. They can't walk a straight line. They're staggering, if you will, staggering forward. They're, they, they have no clarity of thought. There's no, there's no clarity in their vision. They, they, they can't be, they can't stay focused. I, I, a couple of months ago, right, actually Christmas Eve, um, I woke up and I had this vertigo thing going. I never had it before. And I woke up at like three in the morning and I was looking at the window and it was literally going like this. And I was like, whoa, that's not good. <laughs> You know, you think you're, but you're half asleep, so you think, oh, what? And, and all this, it didn't go away, it didn't go away, it didn't go away, right? 
You can't focus. There's no clear focus. Ravi Zacharias talks about this, and he uses an amazing analogy. And he says it's like when you're driving in a car, right? You're driving in a car, and you're and you stop at a light or something. You're stopped in a parking lot, and all of a sudden, the, the car. You think your car's moving, right? Because the car next to you moved. And so you're like hitting your brake because you, you think you're moving, but you're actually not moving. It's actually the car next to you that started moving or is backing out or something. And your brain tells you, oh, you're moving, you're moving, but you're not moving. And he says what you need to do is what human beings do is they focus on, a, on something that is stationary, that is stable, that they can focus and count on. They look at a tree. Oh, the tree is there. A double-minded person... A person who's doubtful and double-minded, for them, the tree is moving, the building. There's no point of reference. A double-minded person who lives in this world, this is the Bible saying, when you're double-minded, you have no point of reference. So you don't know if it's your car that's moving, because when you look out the window, the tree's moving, the building's moving. So you have no point of reference, and that's how you go through life. The word of God is like a tree. It's your point of reference. So when the world starts throwing and trying to move you, you go to your point of reference and say, okay, it's not, no, no, I'm not moving. The rest of the world can do anything at once. I'm stable. But if you're double-minded, understand, if you don't hold to the word of God, if you think it's just a nice little book with some interesting people in it, things that will help guide us through life, it's like a self-help book. You're, you are, just understand, when you're in your car and things start to move, you have no reference point, you don't know what's going on. There's no stability. That's what he's talking about when he says being double-minded. Being double-minded. The double-minded pers- person is, 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 is restless. They're confused in their thoughts and in their behaviors. They're restless and they're confused in their thoughts and in their behaviors because they don't have a reference point. When we're double-minded, we are always in conflict with ourselves. We're confused in ourselves and we're, and we're, and we're, we're, we're wavering in our walk with God. We're never feeling strong about Christ. We're always wavering in our walk. We're uncertain in our walk with God. We're in conflict in our own minds. The lack of confidence in Christ, because we have this lack of, when we we lack confidence in Jesus Christ, we miss out on God's purpose for our lives. We miss out on God's promises for our lives. And then people, honestly, Christians, complain. Well, God, I don't know why this, and I don't understand that, and why doesn't God come through with this, and why isn't God doing this and that and the other thing. What did James say? The double-minded person, the doubter, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. We miss out on our own purpose in life because we're like a drunk person. There's the path you should take, but you got vertigo. You're drunk. You 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 think your car's moving. Everything you don't have it. That's why. That there's the answer to the question. You're unstable in all you do. The double-minded person is unstable. So they miss out on God's purpose. They miss out on God's vision. They miss out on God's promises for their lives. The double-minded person, the double-minded person has no definite direction. And as a result, they don't, they, they never go anywhere. They're always walking in circles. Jesus Christ says, come follow me. Jesus isn't walking in circles. He's taking you somewhere. There is a destination. The double-minded person, 
never really gets anywhere because they just walk in circles. And we need to ask ourselves, all of us, me included, we need to ask ourselves, are we being double-minded? How are we going to live a legacy? This whole series, right? David, we talked about David and his mighty men fighting Goliath's four brothers last week. We talked about all these things. We've talked about what it means to live a legacy. How are we supposed to live a legacy if we don't know where we're going? If we have no stability, we need to ask ourselves, are we double-minded? Could, could that be the reason that we're stuck? Man, I feel stuck. I feel stuck. I feel lost. I feel confused. Could that be the reason that we're, we're not moving forward? Confused about our life, right? Think about this. And confused about our place in the world. Could it be the reason? Could that be the, could our double-mindedness be the reason that we don't have a passion and a zeal for God? You know, we're going through the motions. We come to church. You know, it's fine. But where's the passion, man? Where's the zeal? Where's the, looking for the opportunity to lead someone else into a personal relationship with Christ? Where's the looking at the world and saying, this is unacceptable. I need to do something about it. Where's the passion and the zeal? Could it be the reason? That people don't have a sense of themselves. They don't have a, they struggle with their identity. I want you to think about something, right? As our culture has moved further away from God, our culture, when you talk about a self of, a sense of identity, they don't have the, the slightest sense of identity anymore. Even amongst the most simple things, the most basic structure of human society, people are confused about. Completely confused about who they are. I don't know who I am. I don't know what my sexuality is. I don't know what this. They don't know anything. Their, their identity, their complete confusion. The further you move away from God, the further you move away from Christ, the more double-minded you become and your identity is lost. Because honestly, the only place to find your true identity is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So no wonder our culture is so confused and so lost when it comes to their own identity. The double-minded person lacks the kind of faith. And I'm talking about some of us too. We, we, can, we can drift a little bit here. That double-minded person lacks the kind of faith that we find in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. The person of faith is certain. Certainty and doubt cannot exist together. Certainty, it's certainty and doubt ultimately cannot exist together. Something's going to crack. It's like saying that light and darkness can, can exist together. Light and darkness cannot exist together. I could turn the lights out and we could cover all the windows and it could be pitch dark in here. And if I flip that switch, okay, darkness has one option. Get out. They can't exist together. So the reality is over time, what James is saying is certainty and doubt cannot exist together. If, if one part of our minds is sure of something and the other part doubts, it's not going to work too well, right? It's not going to work out too well. 
Do you remember, do you remember the, the push me, pull you, uh, animal of Dr. Doolittle, right? Right? Remember Dr. Doolittle? There's an animal called the push, push me, pull you. It's an animal that basically has a head on either side of its body. Now, this is what, this is a good, good illustration of a double-minded person. Right? One, fa- one head facing this direction, one head facing that direction, push, push me, pull you, doesn't know which way it's going, it's like a double-headed snake. And that's what we have to avoid. We have to be of one mind. Too many minds. That's why I showed that video clip in the very beginning. What he was saying to him, too many minds. You can't accomplish your goal because you have too many minds. You're focused on your, your heart is over here and your heart is over here and your heart is over here and your thoughts are over here and your soul's over there and your mind's over here. Too many minds. Get focused. Get yourself focused. You can't be a push me, pull you animal. It's not going to work. The Bible is absolutely clear. A believer cannot play both sides a believer in jesus christ ultimately cannot live in two worlds that's what jesus said right in matthew six twenty four, you cannot serve two masters it doesn't work in first john chapter 2 and verse 15 it says this do not love the world or anything in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in them I'm not make, I'm not saying this. This is what the Word of God says. You cannot serve both. We have to make a choice. Choose this day whom you will serve. God and the things of this world are of such opposite, of such an opposite nature that it's impossible to love one without hating the other. That's what I said, right? That's what Jesus said. It's impossible to love one without hating the other. It's impossible to, to, to be devoted one without despising the other. See, this is why we have to really take this to heart, guys, honestly. Honestly. We need to work in this area of our lives. Because the Bible's saying, if you love the world, and you love the things of this world, and you go along with the things of this world... It isn't saying, and you can also love God and be devoted to God and be passionate and zealous about God, and you can just mix them all together. You can be in the world, but not of the world. That's what the Bible tells us. We're in the world. we got to go to work. we got to go to school. We've got to do this. We want to be on the team. We want to be in drama. We want to be in, in, we want to start business. That's all amazing as long as Jesus Christ is the focal point of those things. And when you're reading books about how to run your business, you're not reading books about cutthroat people who want to, who just like, hey, when you're in business, you know, it's, you know, hey, it isn't personal, it's just business. So if I rip you off and lie to you to make the deal and I do this and I win and I get more than you, somehow, yeah, no, 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 wait, time out. That's not how it goes. That's double minded. You can be a, I know people in this church are phenomenal business people, men and women. They don't compromise their integrity. They don't lie, cheat and steal and rip other people off and think that they somehow have achieved something great. They do. They, they listen to the word of God. They go by the word of God and they still accomplish what God has for them in school, in business, on, this, on, on the court, on the field. That's what I'm talking about. But you can't, you can't live in, you can't love the world and you can't give yourself to the world. Your mind can't be sucked in by that. And you still turn around and say, yeah, but I love God too. Hmm? I, I, you read it. I read it. 
I don't need to say any more about it. James 4, 4 says something else. It says this, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, if anyone chooses to be a friend of the world, he becomes an enemy of God. And I'm, did he stutter? Honestly, is, are we confused here? Anybody, raise your hand if you're confused. Okay, good. One person's confused. We'll talk later. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, this is what he's, this is what James is saying. Single-minded focus, people. It doesn't matter, seriously. God doesn't need 10,000 people to change the world. God needs a remnant of single-minded people. God needs a group of people who are focused on him, who are not afraid of the world, who are not afraid to step up and say, this is right and this is wrong, and I'm going to stand on the word of God no matter what you do. That's the kind of people God needs. God doesn't need, if you read the word of God, I'm telling you, go through the word of God and watch him take masses of people, okay, and dwindle them down, and that's who he uses most of the time. When Jesus had mass loads of people following him, you know what he would do? He would say something outrageously true and thin out the crowd. All the people were coming for dinner and a show, right? He thinned them out. This is hard teaching. Who can accept it? And they left, the Bible says. And who was there? A remnant. And what did the remnant do? Change the entire planet. So how do we, how do we overcome doubt? How do we overcome our doubt? couple of things. First, right, you can write these down. They'll be up here too. We need to obey his word. We need to obey his word, the word of God. We need to be obedient to the word of God. Obedience leads us to deeper faith. You cannot have mature faith without obedience. Obedience leads to deeper faith, which means you need to Someone told me this morning was so encouraging. They said, you know, you have your your challenges over and over have caused me to read my Bible almost every day. They said almost every day. I read almost every single day. If you don't read the word, how can you obey the word? If you're not reading the word, how do you know what the word of God says? How do you know how to push back on the world if you don't know what the Bible says about what they're saying? So you need to read the word, you need to obey the word, you need to read the word. In Romans chapter 10 verse 17 it says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. The word about Christ. The message is heard through Christ. We need to read. We need to read the word, read the word of God. Then it also, we need to commit, right? We need, we, do, we need to commit to kind of be, to, 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 to commit this to memory. It's not just about reading the word, but, and I'm, I'm serious. If you don't remember chapter and verse of everything, it's okay. If you don't, can't remember a chapter and verse, but you need to commit the word of God to your memory. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you, you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. We need to commit it to memory. We also need to apply it to our lives Apply it to our lives. In James 1.22, it reminds us, but be doers of the word, not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
Be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Be obedient to the word of God. Do what it says. We need to pray for faith. We need to pray for stronger faith. God gives generously to people who come to him and ask for this type of faith. God will give generously in Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 12. It tells us, so I say to you, ask and you it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will you give him a stone? How much more amazing and loving is God? If you ask him for that kind of faith, if you ask him to help you overcome the doubt, give you the strength that you need, give you that single-minded clarity, he's going to do it. We need to pray and we need to ask. As we close here, we have some decisions. This is, a, this is the end of this part, this end of this series. We have some decisions that we need to make. There's some things that we really need to ponder and think about. If we're going to leave a legacy, we need to live a life of faith. For some of you, honestly, and I don't, I can't, I don't know people's hearts, but for some of you, it may mean that you need to truly give your life to Jesus Christ, not just say, I believe in God. There's a difference. To truly commit your life. I'm talking what we're talking about this morning. And that's what I'm asking for. My professor, remember I've told you this before. What you win people with is what you win them to. And what I'm trying to say to you is take this whole series. And what I'm asking you right now, is that how you want to live your life? Are you willing to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to follow him? Because people say, well, I believe in God. James, this is why James would clear the church out. James chapter 2 and verse 19 says, You believe there's one God, good, even the demons believe that and shudder. Look it up. You believe there's one God, good, even the demons believe that and shudder. Faith comes, faith, faith, faith comes, it consists of knowledge, belief, and obedience. Saving faith, okay, People can believe in God all they want to. I'm talking about followers of Jesus Christ. Knowledge, belief, and obedience. He says, you believe there's one God. Good, even the demons believe that and shudder. Why? They have more knowledge than you do. They have more belief than you do because they, they actually exist in that realm and have seen God, all right? But what don't they have? Obedience. Saving faith consists of knowledge, belief, and obedience. Some of us here have knowledge and we have belief, but we have not yet come to the point we are committing our lives to Jesus Christ because we refuse to be obedient to him. I want to make this as simple as I possibly can. Jesus Christ calls us. We are called by Christ to follow. Jesus says, come follow me. He's saying it to all of you, okay? Jesus says, come and follow me. Our response should be obedience to his call. In Mark chapter 2 and verse 14, it says this, as he walked along, check this out, okay? He saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Think about that. Levi, son of Alphaeus, he said, come, follow me, leave your, ta- leave your tax collectors. When he called the disciples, they dropped their nets and followed him. I want you to process through this. Levi didn't follow Jesus Christ because Jesus said, listen, I have a wonderful plan for your life. 
And if you follow me, you will receive you. I promise him, I will promise you wealth and I will promise you a prosperous, good fortune. I will give you all. The, if you, what did he say? He said, come follow me. And he was obedient and he followed Jesus. It's as simple as that. Why did he follow? He didn't follow because Jesus said, I have a wonderful plan for your life. I'll give you all these good things. I, I promise you this and that and the other thing. He, he followed for the sake of the call. He has been called and he responds to that call with obedience. That's the gospel, my friends. Jesus calls you and you follow. It's not a negotiation. If, if you are, if you are being called by God, you need to be obedient and follow God's call. I'm reading a book by Diedrich Bonhoeffer called The Cost of Discipleship. And he, and he writes, oh, it's a great book. We'll talk about it more in the next series. But he writes this, only he who believes, only he who believes is obedient. And only he who is obedient believes. Think about that. Only he who believes is obedient and only he who is obedient believes. Faith, saving faith, saving faith is, saving faith and obedience are inseparable. You say, well, I'm a believer. Then I say to you, spiritual maturity and obedience are inseparable. You cannot grow in your faith in Jesus Christ if you're not obedient to God. Jesus died, okay? Jesus Christ died for your sins. And if you follow him, he will forgive your sins. Your sins are forgiven. And he promises you that he will walk with you every single day of your life. He'll walk with you every day of your life. On into eternity. For eternity. That's his promise. If I call you and you're obedient and you follow me, I will walk with you every single day of your life. And here's the promise he gives us. You will fulfill the purpose for which I created you on this earth. That's a promise from God. You will fulfill the purpose for which he has created you. In Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 10.9, it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved, truly saved. John 3.16 says, For God so loved you, you, that word world, God so loved the world. It's not just people say, well, it's just talking about the elect. He said, you study that text. God so loved the world, every single one of you. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Like Levi, God is calling each one of us. God is calling every, he created you, you are his, you you are his creation. Now you need to become a part of his family. You need to be adopted as part of his family. You are his child. Like Levi, Jesus is calling every single one of us. The question is, will we be obedient and follow that call? Here's the thing. I, almost every, every time in this church so far that we share, I've shared the gospel, I've said, everybody bow your heads. I don't want you to bow your heads. Honestly. You've been a part of this series, okay? This series is about being bold. This series is about like, it's like, look, it's like looking at your life and saying, here's who I want to be. I'm going to stand for Christ. I'm going to stand for Christ. And I'm going to live my life 
backward. And right now, I'm going to become the person that God has created me to be. I'm going to become that person and live. I'm going to live that out in obedience. And so instead of bowing our heads, if you want to follow Christ, follow Him. I gave you scriptures. To confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. That's why, that's why James came to Christ. Because he saw the resurrected Jesus Christ and he was resolute in his faith. If you want to follow, if you want to follow Jesus Christ, then, then follow him. Follow him. And the reason I'm saying that is because in, in Matthew chapter 10 verses 32 and 33, it's clear. He says, therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess before my father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also, I will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. If, if you're following his call, then follow his call. And this morning, I just want to encourage you. If, if you've never truly given your life to Jesus Christ, you need to do that this morning. Because everything we've talked about in this series is not going to happen. You're not going to be able to face the giants in your life. You're not going to be able to take on the lions in your life. You're not going to be over, over, to overcome your past. You're not going to be able to, to, to have that kind of zeal and that passion. You're not going to be able to take on the, you know, Goliath's fort. You're not, going to do, you're not going to be able to do those things. Why? Because the power of the resurrection Christ is not in you. The Holy Spirit of God does not live in you. What I'm saying to you this morning is make the decision this morning to be obedient. If you in your heart feel that God has been calling you and calling you, then respond to the call with your head wide oh, with your eyes wide open. Give your life to Christ. Follow him because he's going somewhere and he knows where you should be going and he'll lead you there. So if you want to follow Christ, then you need to follow Christ and just, just make the decision that I'm going to stand and I'm going to follow Christ. And here's what I want to do. There are some people in the back who will pray for you and help you on your spiritual journey. If you're saying, I'm going to follow Christ, there's some people in the back and some people in the front will be standing up here. And they'll help you. They'll pray for you and help you in your spiritual journey. So for the, if you've given your life to Christ for the very first time, you're saying, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ then what you need to do is get up and you need to walk over here or walk back there and have someone just invest in you a little bit and show you the next step in your spiritual journey. The rest of you, honestly, if you want to be a follower, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're saying, I, I, you know what, enough. I'm going to follow him with my whole heart. I'm going to do my best not to be double-minded. Everything is Christ. And Christ is everything. Then what I, here's what I want to do. I want us all to come up front and close out this series. If you can, if you can, just come up front. We'll stand here and we'll sing this song together, okay, in unity. But if you want to follow Jesus Christ, I just want you to stand and come over here or go back there. Or if you're, you are a follower of Christ, come on up front. Let's stand up here together and sing this song in unity.